Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia de Bercier. And this is a special bonus episode where we're not going to be talking about an insect, fish, or fossil like we normally do. We're going to be talking about us. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is just kind of a fun extra episode in case you're interested in wondering like, who are these people and why should I trust them to tell me things about animals? <laughs> what are our qualifications? Yeah, and we also wanted to take a second to plug our merch store again. It opened on Wednesday, so it's it's open now. And thanks to everyone who's already ordered from us, we're just overwhelmed by the support and we're so grateful so if you haven't checked it out yet make sure to do that and yeah get some stickers and maybe postcards yeah get your hands on some before they go out of stock it's beyondblathers.square.site well yeah we we thought it would be fun to ask each other some questions and share a bit about ourselves and our experience but first we thought we'd reintroduce ourselves quickly in case you haven't listened to the first episode Yeah, so I'm Sophia Osborne. I'm a Vancouver-based writer and reporter and also freelance editor and audio producer and just kind of a person who's passionate about science communication. So yeah, I mostly write stories about the environment, especially whales. If you've listened to some of our previous episodes, you probably know that I like to talk about (laughs) southern resident killer whales whenever I can. Yeah, I'm kind of just one of those people who graduated into a pandemic and is living with my parents. <laughs> Just vibing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, thanks, Sophia. I'm, I'm Olivia de Bercier. I am a, I guess this is my fifth year. I'm doing a victory lap of my Bachelor of Science in Environmental and Conservation Science at the University of Alberta here in Edmonton, where I am currently. I grew up here. I've been here my whole life. And yeah, I'm obsessed with animals. This summer I was working on a research project looking at New Caledonian beetle biodiversity with Dr. Carol Frost and John Acorn. And so they have been supervising me on this project, which has been really cool. Uh, Previously, I've worked at the Edmonton Valley Zoo for a really long time. I stopped doing that this summer, but I still have lots of good animal stories from that experience. And I also have volunteered at the Royal Alberta Museum, so more bug stuff and animal care there. So I really love working in animal care, and that's been sort of the way I've learned a lot uh, about animals. I mean, school is great, don't get me wrong, but that's been kind of the, the bulk of my experience with animals. Yeah, Olivia has the best stories and the best animal-related pins and stickers and everything. <laughs> yeah, I really like nerdy animal things. They're my favorite. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's that's just a very brief introduction to us, but I also thought it would be nice to kind of talk about how this podcast came to be and how we as friends came to be. So yeah, I guess we can start at the beginning with how we met. I remember it really well. It was in the summer and um, while I was in university, at the University of Alberta, I worked at the student newspaper slash magazine, The Gateway, every year. I was just, that was my <laughs> second home for sure. So I was working as the news editor. And I remember Olivia came in to one of our meetings in the summer. And yeah, she was just like, 
you know, her hair was super curly and she was wearing like this basically safari outfit and like a cool (laughs) animal pin. And yeah, we started talking about science stories because, you know, Olivia wanted to write them. And I was just like, wow, this person's really cool. And we started working together a lot more on just kind of any stories, but especially science stories. And Olivia did really cool illustrations for us as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny you remember that so distinctly. Like, I remember going in and I was just like desperately looking for something to do on campus. I'd had a miserable first year. Like, I'd just been dumped. I was like looking for more fun activities to do. Like, and I found the gateway and I was like, this is it. <laughs> I was like, this is the best day. And I got a cool story. And then I just hung around and harassed you guys a lot. And and it was a great experience. So I'm really glad I did that. Yeah, it was so fun. We worked on a lot of really cool stories together, interviewed cool people, and yeah, became really good friends. And I always thought it'd be fun to do some kind of science communication project with Olivia, but she is in very high demand, let me tell you. Like, this is like the busiest person you've ever met. (laughs) So I'm really glad that I managed to snag her with my idea for this podcast. Yeah, I I think it was a very solid podcast idea because for a long time I'd been looking, I was like, ah, you know, I'd love to make videos or make, or yeah, do like a podcast or something about animals or make a blog or something. But the problem is it's like, what, you need a niche, you need an angle. And this was... This was a good angle. I was like, ah, found it. Yeah, I think it's so fun. And I, yeah, I had the idea, like, this would be cool, but I really don't have the background in most animals to (laughs) make this work. But Olivia is really the perfect person, plus the illustrations. So if it wasn't already clear, how our episodes usually work is that Olivia will, like, do the research and, you know, prepare to kind of talk to me about the species sometimes it's reversed and I'll tell her about a species but yeah and then I'm usually you know asking her the questions about it and then I usually edit the episodes Olivia does the illustrations it's really fun to work on a project together and I think like our strengths really complement each other yeah Sophia's really good at like keeping me on track because I tend to have a very distracted brain and (laughs) I'm not very organized so it definitely works out very well you've got a lot going on yeah I guess it's my own fault (laughs) really (laughs) yeah but I mean I did want to say really quickly that it's been so rewarding to see other people that we don't know appreciating the podcast I mean we're both big podcast listeners and Mm-hmm. The idea that other people, like, enjoy listening to this podcast, like, I enjoy listening to, like, other podcasts that I'm a fan of is just crazy to me. When someone sends us a message saying that they love the podcast, that just, like, improves my week or month, like, tenfold. It's very rewarding. And, like, all of you are so lovely and kind. And it's, yeah, it's been way more success than I was expecting in such a short amount of time. So, really... Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for yeah, that. Yeah, like, this is just such a sweet community. And I mean, I guess what what are you supposed to expect? It's, it's Animal Crossing and animal conservation. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, like, the sweetest intersection of people. Yeah, I'm just really happy to be sharing this content with you guys. Yeah, I love having people that are down to listen to me pepper them with animal facts. <laughs> That's just it's great. It's what you were born to do. Because, oh, my God. 
it's it's gotten to the point, especially with quarantine, I realized like right in the depths of quarantine, kind of earlier in the summer, all I was doing was like listening to like dinosaur courses, like free online dinosaur courses while I like was pinning my bugs and I was obsessed with my research. And then I was at the zoo all the time. So I was only talking to people about animals. And then there were a couple times where I went to go see people at like for like socially distanced picnics and stuff. And I literally could not talk about anything but like animals. <laughs> it was like my brain had just broken and I couldn't, I couldn't get past that. So this is great. This gives me an outlet to express my obsession and passion. It's great. So uh, we also figured that today we'd kind of do an interview style episode with each other. So we were going to ask each other some questions. Uh, so I've got one for Sophia. What... As a, as a journalist, what has been your favorite story to report on? Yeah, this is a really hard question. I've gotten to do a lot of cool stories. That's a really fun thing about student journalism that I'll just plug. If you're interested in any of these kinds of topics, doing student journalism is so cool because if you send an interview request to pretty much any professor at your university for your student newspaper the coolest physics professor or like the really cool professor who does polar bear research or something like that they're probably not going to say no to you and then you get to go talk to them for like half an hour about all the cool things that they do yeah and just like pick their brains it's like getting a mini lecture but it's just one-on-one yeah it's great. I mean like I made some really cool connections and just learned a lot like if you're like me and you find it hard to kind of choose one thing to be interested in because everything is interesting Mm -hmm. to you. Journalism is very cool in that you can explore a lot of different things. You can talk to a lot of cool people. But I guess I will plug my newest story that came out at the beginning of September because usually like each new story that I'm working on is kind of the coolest one that I get to do. And this one was really special We can link it, uh, not to self-promote too much, but it was published in the Taiyi, which is a really cool online newspaper magazine here um, in British Columbia. And yeah, it's, it's a feature about this humpback whale named Heather, who would always come by my dad's house on Saturna in July. So I was there in July kind of just doing lockdown with my dad out on this island and yeah this humpback named heather and her calf neowise a new calf born this year they would just come by like every day like sometimes two or three times a day and neowise the calf would just breach over and over it was crazy one time i counted him breaching 50 times and then i just like went inside because i got kind of bored like i was just watching for like (laughs) half an hour while he just breached over and over oh my god and this is like right outside on you know i'm just watching from the deck so i just found that so interesting and i wanted to know more about heather and neowise so i pitched this story idea of talking to naturalists and researchers who study humpbacks in the area and who know heather's story and like just finding out more about her but then also talking about what it means to see whales and animals more generally as individuals because when you study ecology or just kind of in general when we talk about animals or when we think about them we usually think about them as just kind of like a concept or like an ambiguous 
random occurrence in the landscape like oh look at that deer or like look at this bird that's landing on the bird feeder and you don't think like is that the same bird that was here yesterday or is that the same whale that I saw last summer or things like that so I wanted to highlight this idea that these whales are our neighbors that come back to the same place over and over again that they have as much of a connection to this place as we do etc so like I don't know if you even need to read the story now because I just explained it, but <laughs> that was such a special story to me and I'm really hoping I can do more stuff like this because it was just so powerful and to talk to these naturalists who have devoted their entire lives to caring about these individual whales and all they do is like pour over pictures to ID whales and all this stuff. I mean, I am in awe of them. Yeah, I just love doing stories about the environment around here where I'm from so very special story to me yeah it was a great story so you definitely should go read it if you have a moment I really enjoyed reading it thank you yeah I'm proud of it okay I have a question for you now okay so like we talked about a bit earlier you've worked with a lot of different animals between the zoo and the museum and your beetle research and everything so what's your favorite animal you've ever worked with? That's really hard. I mean, I can probably discount the, like, dead beetles in my basement that I've been, like, researching. <laughs> they're cool, but they're very small, and they're also dead. But um, <laughs> in at the zoo, they're, oh my gosh, I I really love working with them all, but I think my favorite animal, and it's so underrated, is the Kia parrot. And if you don't know what that is, it's a beautiful, I mean, parrot, but it's big. It's about, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's like the height of like a crow, but it's very chunky and it's from New Zealand. And it's not to be mistaken with the kakapo, which is a different New Zealand, large chunky parrot that is also green. But the Kia, it's a little bit more agile than the kakapo. It can fly. It's an alpine parrot. It's the really only alpine parrot in the world. And it's got this long bill and uh, kind of like orange armpits under their wings. And they're brilliant. They're like one of the smartest birds in the world. And I mean, working with these things, they are a challenge to work with because for one, they're very clever. They can figure out puzzles really well and they're also very mischievous. And so in New Zealand, they're known for like ripping windshield wipers off cars and like tearing off hiker shoelaces and basically making mischief wherever they can. So they really like to tear things up and chew them up and tear them apart. And so when I was working there, there were about three Kias. Um, and oh, and I should mention, they're like a critically endangered animal. They often get hit by cars. They get lead poisoning from eating like paint and things like that. Their mischief making behavior tends to get them into a lot of conflict with humans. So yeah, it's, it's amazing working with them because they have such personality. Like I remember Newton is one of the younger ones and he, he, if you call to him, he'll come down and he'll look at you and like, he'll like to play with you. So sometimes I play like tug of war with them with a stick. I probably shouldn't be saying these things now because these were technically maybe things I wasn't supposed to be doing, <laughs> but like the keepers were chill with it and like, I don't work there now, so it's fine. But yeah, you could like 
play with them and they really liked seeing people and observing people and you could make toys for them to destroy and just like rip to shreds and you could see them like thinking how to to solve puzzles and i remember we got a female because we're hoping that newton and the female marie will breed uh which would be amazing because they're an endangered species and marie just like I remember going into her enclosure one time and it was like mating season and she was just so pent up and hormonal and she would just like look up at you and puff up and just scream and she would like bite at your rubber boots and just scream at you until you like got down and like scratched her neck and then she'd stop screaming but if you left she'd start screaming again and it was just oh it was so funny yeah they they were just great great birds to work with and uh, just such personalities. And yeah, they're probably my favorite. I also love working with lemurs. They're like monkeys, but not evil. (laughs) Um, Sorry, that's mean to monkeys, but I don't trust monkeys. But lemurs are much more, I don't know, they seem more predictable to me. Um, So I really loved working with the lemurs too. They're really cute. It's so cool that you've worked with like lemurs and red pandas and stuff. Like that is a dream. It's, it's amazing. And it's, um, you learn so much about these animals. And also, you learn a lot about zoos and aquariums and how they work. And I mean, every single one is different. But you really get an inside view into how much these people care about these animals and how the inner workings are. And, and it's also really like mo- most of my job there was not as a zookeeper. Um, a lot of the times I was working with these animals, it was as like a volunteer zookeeper. I was employed as an interpreter. So I was doing the, the education part. And getting to like share these animals with the guests was really great because you you do have a lot of kids coming to the zoo who wouldn't get the opportunity to interact with wildlife other like in another situation. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, like their families wouldn't bring them outdoors as much or or things like that. So it was a really unique opportunity to give, I don't know, to, to give kids a more interactive experience. And I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done. And I like to see the way zoos and aquariums are going towards um, a really heavily education-oriented place. And there's a lot of movement towards when you're bringing out animals to show people what we call tractable animals, so your lizards or whatever. Not doing so many like touch experiences because that can be stressful for animals, but making it, giving them the choice to come out. So some zoos right now, they're training their animals to sort of go into crates on command. Or not on command, but basically like they'll they'll train them to go into crates. And if the animal doesn't want to go into the crate, then they don't do it that day. But if they do, then they get to go onto like basically a table um, where they have food and whatever they want. And they come out if they feel like it and they can go back whenever they feel like it. So it's more of a, you're leaving things up to the animal. So things like that that are changing in, in the zoo world, I think are really important and really good and should be encouraged. But yeah, I, overall it's, it's a really cool experience and it's taught me almost everything I know about animals. Um, but I was going to ask you another question, getting back to that good old COVID theme, because that's all we talk about these days. Yeah. <laughs> but what what has been your favorite quarantine activity? What have you been up to beyond watching whales breach 50 times off your porch, <laughs> which is an amazing quarantine activity? Yeah, no, my quarantine has definitely not been as glamorous as that makes it sound. <laughs> I was actually studying abroad in Scotland last year, and so I had to kind of come back with my tail between my legs in May, back to Canada. I had to do the real quarantine thing, and, you know, like, my mom blocked off 
my room and the bathroom from the rest of my house. And she even built a separate entrance to my room so that I wouldn't have to use the front door and that kind of thing. So I, yeah, and I just didn't see anyone for 14 days. And Animal Crossing really was my savior during that time. Like, I spent much more time with my villagers than I did with anyone else. So obviously I have to plug Animal Crossing as one of my favorite quarantine activities. And maybe people should also know about me that I'm not a gamer girl at all, but I do love a good (laughs) simulation game. So I do love Animal Crossing, love Stardew Valley, but The Sims is my original love like I've played the sims (laughs) I realized that I started playing the sims one in preschool which is disturbing oh my god that's so what yeah like we were we were woohooing and stuff or like the sims were woohooing and I was I was in like preschool and (laughs) kindergarten yeah like I love the sims I've played every iteration of it so sims 4 has been like an important part of my quarantine as has watching Sims YouTubers and thinking about The Sims. Stay tuned. Maybe there'll be like a, a yeah, a, a Sims podcast. That'll just be my brand is like whales and simulation games. Video games. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I have a question about school. So you're in environmental and conservation science. And what's the coolest class you've ever taken? Mm, I think... The interesting thing about my degree is it's pretty practical. So, like, I actually feel like some of the bio-sci students have, like, cooler sounding classes than we do. But, I mean, I, I obviously have loved my wildlife biology course. And I was a TA for that course a couple years after I took it. I loved it so much I wanted to take it again. But, yeah, that was really fun just learning about all the Western Canadian species and their families and their taxonomy. And I just love that kind of stuff. So that was really fun. But probably my favorite course has been, I took a traditional knowledge course with Dr. Prenda Parley, and that has been just eye-opening in every aspect. Listen, if if anyone listening is an ecologist, and really, like, whatever your career is, but especially, I think, ecologists or biologists, if you haven't taken a traditional or Indigenous knowledge class, you should, because it really sort of opened my eyes to, like, Western science is not the only system of knowledge. It is not the only way we gain knowledge. And there is no good reason to disregard local people's understanding of their environment and the animals around them. Their their observations are can be just as accurate as many like Western science research. And particularly as I'm in environmental science, I'm realizing how often inaccurate environmental science can be because nature is very, very complex and very hard to pin down. So yeah, it was just a fantastic course that like really made me think about and question what I'd been taught about science all these years and what I continue to be taught. And I think it's just like really, really important that we talk about it and that we're including Indigenous people in decisions happening about, you know, their land and and the place that they've called home for way longer than settlers have. So yeah, that was my favorite course ever. And Brenda Parley, Dr. Brenda Parley does amazing work. What's funny is like so often I'll like be writing papers for classes because I'm in two more of her classes this semester. And as I'm writing papers on traditional knowledge, I'm like searching up all these random topics. And like, she's almost like the only 
author who's mm-hmm. coming up on all these papers because like she's one of the few academics who's talking about it like it's hard to say that but like also I'm searching up all these papers and like all the time I'm like I swear Brenda I'm not just trying to like suck up to you like by using all your own papers in this research project it's just that like her students and her often are the only ones writing on this or some of the few who are writing about it I'm sure in other countries there are many other people but specifically in Canada I guess. So anyway, it's it's a great course. Uh, highly recommend. I know the book Braiding Sweetgrass, apparently. I haven't read it, so this might be weird. I'm like plugging a book I haven't read. But from the people who've taken that course with me, they read that book and they say it's a great introduction to Indigenous knowledge. And I've definitely heard interviews with the author and she's a, a very um, uh, knowledgeable ecologist and an Indigenous person herself. So I think if people are trying to get into that, that might be a good source for them to look to. And that's called Breeding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. There's an episode of Ologies on it. It's really good. Oh, that's great. It's a Moss episode. Yeah, that's so cool. And such a great point. In in my degree as well, like I was, well, I started out in ecology actually, but I ended up being an English major. And yeah, definitely some of the best courses I took were either Indigenous literature or Canadian literature courses that focused on Indigenous literature. And they were just, yeah, so eye-opening. And I really loved especially reading contemporary Indigenous literature. Yeah, it's it's so important. I'm glad we can talk about it a bit on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's hard because I, and I mentioned this before, but like, it's hard for me to find a balance of like, making sure we're talking about it, but also um, respecting the fact that I'm not Indigenous and this isn't my knowledge necessarily, mm-hmm. or it isn't my knowledge. So, but I was going to ask Sophia, what is your favorite book? I was talking about Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, which I have started reading, to be fair. Anyway, sorry, what's your favorite book? <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad saying that. I was like, oh, I've just admitted that I haven't read that book and I'm ashamed. Oh, no. I mean, there are so many books that I haven't read. If there are any other English majors listening to this, you can probably relate. I just got out of my last year of university reading, you know. It's hard to read during your university. Yeah. Because every time you read, you're like, oh, I should be reading that reading for class. Well, and it was fun to read novels for class, but I was reading like at least two novels a week for class and it was just a lot. And so kind of coming out of that, I took a bit of a break from reading and now I'm back and I find it really hard to pick like a favorite book of all time. So I'll just like quickly give a few very wildly different recommendations. One, if you're interested in environmentalism and just like the intersection between like climate change and capitalism and that kind of thing, This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein is such an important book. My dad got it for me for my 15th birthday and (laughs) this is what I always write on my cover letters. My dad gave this book to me for my 15th birthday, and to me, it really did change everything, which is so cheesy, but it's also true because it made me want to do environmental communication and, like, made me realize that, you know, wanting to prevent climate catastrophe and to help the environment totally intersects with and can is related to all of these other issues that I care about a lot like sexism, racism, inequality, all these kinds of things. So anyway, great yeah. book. That's quite the book to give you on your 15th birthday. 
That's such a, like, you and your dad thing. I love that. Oh, yeah, I mean. It's such a dark book. I mean, I've had to read chapters. I haven't read the whole thing because I've read a number of chapters for class, and it made me really depressed. And I was like, ugh, I'll just learn this stuff in my degree and be sad in a more, in, over a longer period of time instead of all at once as I read this book. Yeah. Uh, but it's really good. Naomi Klein is a great writer, and I, I have enjoyed doing her readings for class. She's, yeah, like... She's definitely a hero of mine, and I did meet her once at a book signing, and she signed my book, but I was crying, and it was really embarrassing. <laughs> and I really hope she doesn't remember that, because I hope to one day oh meet God. her in a professional capacity. Just never bring that yeah. up. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I cried when I met Jane Goodall. Oh. Well, I like. I was like really holding it back, but in the pictures, you can tell I'm just like right on that edge. I would be crying, too. I, it was very emotional. But yeah, um, that's a favorite book for sure. But if you're more of a fiction person, because that's like heavy nonfiction. Mm-hmm. If you're more of a fiction person, I just finished reading the first two books of the Trickster trilogy by Eden Robinson. Oh, that's so good. Did you, have you read them? I've No, but I've read uh, Monkey Beach and it was really good. And I haven't read her other books yet, but I'm oh my on my list gosh. too once I'm graduated and I have time to read. You have to read the Trickster trilogy. So the first book is called okay. Son of a Trickster. And mm-hmm. yeah, Eden is a indigenous author here in Canada, I guess. And um, <laughs> kind of a theme. Yeah. And oh my gosh, these are such good books. Like it's kind of like a Percy Jackson, like premise that he is the half or like you know his father was this trickster figure and like he's kind of got some powers and like weird things are happening to him but it's it totally doesn't have that kind of Percy Jackson quest vibe or anything like it's very incredibly written crazy things happen and there's you know it it deals with dark themes and it's kind of vulgar and it's so good and yeah, and the CBC is adapting it into a TV show. So I think the oh what yeah really? like the episode the first episode just came out, so you can check it out as well. It's called Trickster. That's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, extremely exciting. I thing feel like happening. this is a really like ultra Canadian episode of ours here. Where, like the CBC. If anyone doesn't know what that is, that's like a very Canadian broadcasting corporation, if anyone doesn't know what that is. Yes, true. I feel like most of our listeners are American. I'm like, oh, yeah. I feel like it'll show up on Netflix at some point. Yeah, probably. It seems like it's really well produced, and I'm really excited about it. Again, it's just like seeing contemporary indigeneity like on TV and in really great books, I just think is so important. And I am in love with the protagonist. Like, the protagonist, Jared is my boyfriend like that's all <laughs> i'll leave it Can at you that tell sophia really likes ya <laughs> big ya fan here okay cool well thank you for that question i love books and i knew that was gonna be a juicy question yeah and uh it made me feel a bit like my degree is not useless so <laughs> give good book recommendations i um i guess for like our final question to each other I thought that listeners might be interested to know a bit more about you as an artiste and, you know, the illustrations that you do and how you got into doing art and what it's like doing art and science. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, that sounds like the question I've answered in so many scholarship applications. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an artist and I like science, too. Yeah. So 
I guess I've like been an artist as long as I can remember. Like I've loved drawing, I've loved painting. And my dad is like a visual artist and an art teacher. And so he definitely encouraged that. But uh, yeah, I like love drawing animals and I've always loved drawing animals. I started going to an arts sc- a school for the arts in Edmonton. And yeah, it was like a public school, but with like an arts focus. And I went there from grade seven to grade 12. And I just got really, really into illustration and character design and visual development to art. And that just like really became an obsession of mine in high school to the point where I was like, oh, maybe I want to go and be an animator and like do visual development art for film because I loved it so much. And I didn't do that because climate change is terrifying. And I was like, I have to do something. So I went to university for science, which turned out to be a great idea because I do love science. And yeah, I mean, uh, it it was hard because once I got to high school or university, I like barely did any art ever. Pretty much the only art I was doing was for the gateway in the illustration section. And yeah, and now this is like the first time since high school I've had like a regular reason to do art, which is lovely. But yeah, so, so that's, I mean, it's just always been a thing that I really love to do. And I don't believe that people should have to choose between arts and sciences, and I think they're very intertwined. There's a remarkable number of people in my program who are one from my high school when, like, no one... It's so funny, because going from an arts-focused high school to, like, some intense science and, like, not very many... Like, our high school was pretty small, and, like, the fact that so many ended up in this, like, tiny program in science is, is very, I don't know, coincidental. And there's so many people in the program who are really amazing artists. So I feel like there's a very strong connection between ecology and art just because there's so many artist ecologists. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's like a historical thing too. Like so many naturalists were like also amazing illustrators and could illustrate what they were seeing out there in nature. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's been a thing throughout time. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. I think that's probably true. And it's so cool that that you have that ability and I just well you know I'm a huge fan I love your illustrations so much I'm sure our (laughs) listeners probably feel the same way I think they bring so much to just kind of the explanation of these animals and then being able to see your interpretation of them especially the you know the the fossils because you can't really look at a reference Oh my god, I have to say that's been the hardest thing of this whole illustrating is like, I've never really done paleo art before. I think the last time I drew dinosaurs was when I was like six and really obsessed with dinosaurs. That was my original ecology-focused love, loved dinosaurs. I really have had the same interest since I was like a child. (laughs) They have not changed. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's hard to do because like, there's not a lot of evidence there on what they actually look like. And I have no practice in paleo art. And I see people on like Twitter with some of the most amazing paleo art. So I have a lot to learn. And um, this is a good challenge for me to kind of try out those skills and find what works and what doesn't. So yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm looking back on my illustrations already, like going like, oh, yeah, I would have fixed that and done this differently. But yeah, it's a learning process, learning curve. Yeah. I'd love to take a course on it. I think that would be really cool. That'd be so cool and, like, very relevant to what you do anyway. hmm Yeah. So we asked on our Instagram story a while ago if anyone has any questions for us. And we did get a few questions, so we're going to just kind of, like, rapid fire them here. So Amanda asked us what creature we're most afraid of. 
I'm really scared of leopard seals. I think it is a childhood fear from watching too many penguin documentaries as a child, and the villain was always a leopard seal. (laughs) So they scare me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think, because, like, I think with Olivia, it's more like she finds most creatures just really cool and interesting and isn't scared of a lot of them, but, like, I'm mostly just afraid of most insects and um, (laughs) things like snakes and stuff. I'm just not as cool as Olivia. I feel like when people ask me what creatures I'm most afraid of, I think of, like, creatures I don't trust. (laughs) Do you want to hear a creature I don't trust? I already mentioned I don't trust monkeys, but I also don't trust emus. Because we had two emus at the zoo, and they were mean. They used to, like, peck at everything, and they growl. They make the most terrifying sounds in the whole world. You need to go and YouTube the gurgle of an emu and understand that it shakes you to your core. It's like a primal sound. It is a dinosaur sound. It is the sound of velociraptors in Jurassic Park going that that like gurgling noise. It's that. And I remember one time I was like sweeping in a, a shed at the zoo and like, it, I guess it was a stall. And I thought the stalls were empty, but they were not. There were two emus in it, obviously. And I had my back turned to the stall door. And I just, like, heard that gurgling sound, that Jurassic Park sound. And I knew it was behind me. And I turned around and the emu was, like, really slowly, like, peering over the fence. Its head was just, like, raising over. And those things look, those things are, like, straight up, they look like dinosaurs. I mean, they are dinosaurs, but it would have pecked me real hard. But I moved, luckily. But I don't trust emus. So that's my emu story. That's great. I mean, I'm glad that you survived that encounter. Yeah, it was a really near-death experience, I would say. I don't know. I mean, for me, maybe, like, Daddy Longlegs Spiders. I mean, for one, just the name is, like, what? Like, who? Like, <laughs> why are they daddy? It's like a meme now. Haven't you seen those, yeah. like, memes? <laughs> like, ecologists naming it a Daddy Longlegs. And I guess it's just a common name, but I don't know. There's just so many in my house. Like, my house is just full of Daddy Longlegs spiders at all times. Pretty much every time I go to the shower, there's one in there. So, like, I've kind of learned to live with them, and they're my neighbors, I guess, or technically my roommates. But those legs are just too long okay all right well (laughs) hannah asked us who are our favorite villagers okay this feels like choosing a favorite child of the villagers that i have and i love them all pretty much except lionel who i hate and i wish he would leave but he just will not leave even though i don't talk to him but i have melba on my island and i don't think she gets enough credit she's just like the sweetest cutest little koala like i love a normal villager because they love books and she just talks to me about books and like book club and she's so (laughs) sweet and i love her so much yes i also have a koala my favorite is alice the british koala okay and then finally kayleen asked if there were more games like animal crossing that had natural history related activities what would you hope to get to do in them I want, like, one of those, like, cute, you know, like, the puppy games where you have, like, a puppy and you raise the puppy, or, like, little pet games, but I want one with bugs so that people see them as cute. I like that. That's what I want. (laughs) That's a good idea. I, I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to plug this game, Mondo Museum, that I think the creator follows us on Twitter, and, oh, yeah, it's just, like, I checked it out quickly, and, yeah, you, you can, like, design and curate a museum 
in it, which is very cool. And I feel like up your alley. Yeah. But yeah, I just love, I mean, I was a big fan of like Roller Coaster Tycoon, Zoo Tycoon. So, and I, I like the idea of having like a museum kind of simulation. So yeah, I think that's really cool. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Thanks everyone for the questions. Yeah. Thank you. And feel free to DM us if you have other random questions or animal IDs. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway yeah thanks everyone so much for listening to this bonus episode we hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about us we'll be back wednesday with another regularly scheduled animal episode and make sure to follow us on at beyond blathers on instagram and twitter for giveaways all right cool well we'll catch you next week thanks everyone bye bye